0: Learning styles are a pernicious myth, but learner preferences are a reality and learning businesses disregard learner preferences at their own risk. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is The Leading Learning Podcast. The scientific basis for learning styles is slim to none. And yet the idea of learning styles persists. So in this episode, number 383, we want to explore why the myth of learning styles remains popular and what learning businesses can and should do with this fiction.
1: Learning styles have come up in a couple of recent interviews. I'm thinking of my conversation with Jane Bozarth and yours with Will Tallheimer, Jeff. And so this concept of learning styles is top of mind for us again.
0: And there have been other interviews further back when we've talked about learning styles and how they're not aligned with effective learning. I'm thinking about my conversations with Megan Sumeraki and Clark Quinn, for example. But then back to more recent things that have made learning styles top of mind for us, I recently came across a post, an article that talked about them. And this was on a site uh, called teach.com that's actually hosted by edX, which is one of the biggest uh, massive open online course providers. And that's owned by 2U, which is just one of the biggest commercial learning companies in general right now uh, out there in the the university, more academic type world. And this was an article specifically about learning styles, basically in support of learning styles and teachers tuning in to learning styles to to be better teachers. And in fact, I'll quote from it because I quoted from it in this LinkedIn post that I did about the article says by understanding what kind of learner you and or your students are you can now gain a better perspective on how to implement these learning styles into your lesson plans and study techniques so this article is you know basically supporting the idea that learning styles exist and telling teachers that they need to teach to learning styles which is really what's been disproven that teaching to learning styles d- does not make any difference is not effective but ends up consuming a lot of resources. I ended up getting so far uh, close to 7,500 views of that uh, post on LinkedIn, which anybody familiar with LinkedIn knows that's that's quite a few views, lots of comments, lots of reposts. So it's obviously a, a hot button sort of issue. And so we felt like we needed to give some airtime to it.
1: That's right. So we want to dig into learning styles and their perniciousness. Um, and as we often do, we're going to define our key term just to make sure that we're all on the same page. So we feel like upfront, we should define what we mean by learning styles. And the idea of learning styles refers to different ways that individuals learn and acquire new information or skills. And so the idea is that people have distinct and preferred ways of processing information. And common learning styles include visual learners and these are folks who learn through visual aids so think photos and illustrations charts and graphs and diagrams these folks benefit from seeing information presented visually or at least that's the idea
0: yeah i hear so many people say that they are they are visual learners i think that's the one that tends to get the the most airtime. but then there are auditory learners that learn best through listening that might be uh, that might be our listeners uh, out there for the the podcast and these are people that tend to remember information presented verbally, or at least as this is how they think uh, they learn. So, you know, think about lectures, discussions, or of course, podcasts.
1: Kinesthetic learners, this is another learning style that gets uh, brought up often. And the idea here is that these kinesthetic learners learn through physical experiences and hands-on activities and that they prefer to engage with the material in an interactive way. So think about, experiments and projects that require the learners to do something. You know, One very specific example could be practicing CPR on a mannequin, for example.
0: So those three are the, the classical learning styles, but you'll sometimes uh, hear about reading writing learners who learn via written text, and this is how you get the VARK model, V-A-R-K, that uh, a lot of people might be familiar with. You'll hear about social learners who learn best in groups and collaborative situations or solitary learners who learn best by working independently, often in a quiet setting.
1: So that's kind of what we have in mind when we're thinking about learning styles, this sort of idea of visual learners, auditory learners, kinesthetic learners, different kinds of learners, and that they have one way that's really the most effective way for them to learn kind of across the board in all situations. And I think that one reason we continue to hear about learning styles is that, like any good myth, they try to explain something. And I think that learning styles offer a potential answer to why sometimes we learn better than at other times or why sometimes certain people seem to learn more than others from a specific experience or offering. So, you know, if I learn really well from a lecture and you don't, Then saying, hey, I'm an auditory learner, that offers kind of a plausible explanation for that difference in learning outcomes there.
0: Right, and if I don't learn well, then I can blame the delivery method. It's not my fault that I can't play piano or that I can't recall the dates of major events of World War II. No, it's the fault of how that instruction was designed and delivered.
1: And then I think another reason that learning styles persist is probably just The difficulty of keeping people up to speed on what's theory and hypothesis what's initial testing and results and then evolving theories and their evidence you know so i think again people probably came up with learning styles to explain some of those differences that i that we were just talking about there and yes those might be plausible hypotheses but then you actually test them and you see how learners actually learn and you see that there really is no support to these different learning styles actually leading to better learning outcomes.
0: Yeah, and they you know, they just haven't held up to that that testing over time. We found out that what does seem intuitive and and, and plausible just in the end isn't really what works and I mean you can think of analogies out there, think of what happened with COVID when way back at the beginning, we were told pretty emphatically, right, at first not to wear a mask. Nobody should be wearing masks. That's not the thing to do with this. And then, of course, you know, I don't know, it was a month later, two months later, I can't remember what it was, complete about face because we were getting evidence that, yes, wearing masks does actually have some some positive impact. So it is something that, that we should be doing. But of course, a lot of people just heard that original message and were never able to sort of get on board with the change in message after that.
1: Right. So this happens all the time in science, right? There is a theory. And then that theory is either supported by testing results, or it is sort of overturned by testing results. So I think we just have to keep in mind that if we are truly going to subscribe to following learning science in our learning businesses, which we think we should, then you have to remember that it is in science and that you have to kind of keep up with the latest discoveries, the latest findings, and what is actually evidence-based.
0: And you know the reality is the evidence just isn't there to support learning styles. I mean, a lot of work has been done on this. There's a lot of research that's been reported out on this. Instead, what we see in the real world is that individuals use a variety of strategies to learn, no matter what they may think their learning style is, and the best strategies depend on context, subject matter, and the learner's goals, among other important factors.
1: Right. So I mentioned CPR and a mannequin. I mean, that's a place where that kinesthetic learning really makes a ton of sense. If you need to be able to understand how to do compressions, then using that literal hands-on approach to learning, it fits that subject matter, it fits that context. And so if the goal of the learner there is to learn how to do CPR, then you're going to want to take that kinesthetic approach, at least for part of the instruction.
0: And now you may be listening and saying, wait a minute here, wait a minute. Like, I know (laughs) that I like to be able to watch a video to learn. Or of course, in this case, I like to listen to a podcast to learn, or, you know, I, I have to have my hands on stuff to learn. And it's true that, you know, if you ask people how they like to learn, many, probably even most will express some preference. And you know, there there is evidence of preference. I mean, sure,
1: I mean, I've always hated group projects. You know, so if I were asked, I'd say, yeah, I'm a solitary learner. Please do not make me work with anyone else.
0: So absolutely, people have their preferences, and we'll we'll come back to that because it is important. But the fact that people have preferences does not mean that those preferences actually align with how they do in fact best learn or support this idea that there are specific learning styles that we need to be teaching to.
1: At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you are looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com services. So I think we can summarize where we are at this point with learning styles, that falls under the heading of myth. Learner preferences, that falls under the heading of Reality, so we do believe that learning styles, in terms of actually promoting more effective learning, no, that's we're going to put that in the myth uh, category. But this idea that learners do have preferences, we absolutely buy into that. We do believe that
0: we do, and there are some some implications of that. But to talk about learning styles first, you know, learning businesses need to reject the idea of, of learning styles and, and teaching to learning styles because they're. They really need to focus on what we know is most effective
1: right and so for example uh, there's been a lot of research around dual coding theory and this is the idea that audio plus visuals is really one of the most effective ways to convey information and help learners richard mayer and ruth colvin clark talk about this in the e-learning and the science of instruction. That's a book we've recommended before and we believe is is very good because of its evidence-based uh, approach. Again, as you hear in the title, the focus is in particular on e-learning, but it has a relevant application in physical classroom settings as well.
0: And of course, this is true regardless of whether somebody says, you know, I am a kinesthetic learner or a read-write learner, just that that dual encoding with, with- you know, the audio visual uh, approach, giving those, those different pathways into cognition is going to be effective regardless. And you want to go with what does the science say about what is effective. That's one very good reason for dismissing this idea of learning styles and going with things like dual coding theory instead. The other is that Learning businesses need to be good stewards of their resources. And we know, you know, a lot of our audience members are feeling resource challenged in their learning businesses. There never seems to be enough budget, never enough people to to do what you need to do. And if you're trying to create learning experiences that teach according to learning styles, so you've got a a visual approach, you've got an audio approach, you've got a read-write approach, you've got a kinesthetic approach, you've got a social approach, and you're trying to factor all of that into your learning design, Well, it is good to use multimedia. I mean, we just talked about audio and visual, but to try to do all of those things in engineering all of your learning experiences, that's very resource intensive. I mean, that's why I brought up the, the article at the beginning that I posted about on LinkedIn, because there's an article telling teachers, and in this case, mostly in, you know, sort of K through 12 and higher education situations, that they need to be teaching to all of these different learning styles. And that, again, is a resource challenged environment. And this site is telling teachers they need to use a theory that has no basis, in fact, to do a lot more work, basically.
1: Right. So, Don't follow learning styles when creating what you offer as a learning business. It's not effective. It's a poor use of your resources. And it really just adds to the noise that so many learners are hearing. If they land on your catalog page and they see that you are offering something that helps them in a subject that they need help in, but then they have to further make this choice around what Mm -hmm. format to take it in, it's kind of adding overwhelm without value. There's no value there.
0: Right. So that's the the learning styles side of the equation. But back to to preferences, we feel it actually is very important to embrace preferences or, or the knowledge that learners view themselves as having preferences, because that is going to be an important aspect of marketing and appealing to adults when they have a lot of options for going elsewhere. So, you know, if they feel like you're speaking to their, their preferences and, and how they like to learn, that can make you much more attractive as a learning provider. That's not going so far as to say that, you know, we're developing to different learning styles, but just that we recognize at different times, you know, you might prefer things in different formats.
1: And so this means that when appropriate, offering different options, you know, so think about things like here, do this project on your own versus working with another member of the cohort. That could be fine for a project related to time management, you know, that choice of you can either do this on your own or you can do it with a group. But it might not be an appropriate option if what you're focused on is giving and receiving useful feedback where working with another learner is kind of integral to that goal of learning where you're trying to see what it's like to give and receive effective feedback. Again, you could let learners read an article or you could let learners listen to it. But again, if a key point of that piece is something visual, then it's going to be more effective to have them read the text with the embedded visual versus trying to explain the visual in audio form, which is going to create higher cognitive load. Just as an example, you know that describing what a person looks like is done much more efficiently with a photo than with a paragraph of text, for example. So again, it gets back to subject matter and context and learning goals.
0: Right so you don't want to, you don't want to pander to preferences I mean, you need to forefront what's actually effective in the particular context with the particular goals you know as you're saying Salisa but you know where it's possible to provide some some meaningful choice then provide it because that supports autonomy which we know is is also good you know for motivation in the context of learning so you know bottom line is there's some nuance here and, and it's easy to see, again, sort of why this idea of sort of learning styles and, and developing all of these different ways to teach and learn is attractive, but you got to pair it back to, okay, let's start with what's actually effective here. And then where it makes sense to provide some meaningful choices that make people feel like their their preferences are genuinely being respected as adult learners.
1: Right. So nuance is at the heart of this. And it's a balancing act that you have to look at the financial realities the resource realities just knowing that you are dealing with limits in the resource area and then thinking about what your audience needs and wants and so where can you provide options um, that are going to have a return on investment that it's going to be worth providing those options or options sometimes don't necessarily add a whole lot of extra effort Again, as long as they don't undercut your learning goals, that can be a very good thing to support the adult learners motivation by giving them that choice.
0: One way we've thought about this is a sort of Venn diagram, which even if you're listening as an auditory person, uh, we think you can probably visualize this where you've got you know one circle, that is those learning preferences, what, what your learners perceive as their preferences, and another which is the effective learning techniques. And to the extent you can, you want those to overlap. So definitely giving priority to the effective learning techniques, but then also giving the measure that you should to how people say they, they like to learn, You know their, their preferences for learning. And if you can sort of combine those into the learning experience in that balanced way, you know then, then you're kind of getting the best of all worlds. Learning styles are a pernicious myth, but learner preferences are a reality, and learning businesses disregard learner preferences at their own risk. Learning businesses need to balance effective learning strategies and approaches with giving their customers, aka their learners, what they want.
1: At leadinglearning.com slash episode 383, you'll find show notes, a transcript, and options for subscribing to the podcast if you're not already subscribed.
0: We'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you enjoy the show. Salisa and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business.
1: And please spread the word about leading learning. You can do that in a one-on-one note or conversation with a colleague, or you can do it through social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 383, you'll find links to connect with us on X, formerly Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook.
0: Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.